This is the fear of science. Welcome to the Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new fear with special guest surprises and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And we are here in the beautiful Vancouver Public Library Inspiration Lab to uh, uh, have a talk, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know it's been a long time coming, <laughs> but uh, you know I didn't know how to how to bring this up to you. Um, some you know sometimes sometimes uh, trying to find the right way to start a conversation, have an important conversation, can be a little tricky. Is this the best way to start it? It is the second best way because luckily we have brought here with us for this episode, which is aptly titled "Fear of Conversations." Uh, two special guests to dive into why some people have fear of hard talks, uh, deep, important conversations, uh, and perhaps even why some people avoid it, and how we can perhaps uh, get over this fear. Who are joining us today in studio? Oh, hello, everybody. Uh, I am Ken Lawson. Uh, I am an improviser, an actor, uh, musician. I also do leadership development. Educator. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I specialize in using applied improv for personal and team development. Nice. Yeah. And my name's Debbie Roach. I have a podcast like you guys. It's called Uncomfortable, where we have conversations around uncomfortable topics in hopes that we make those topics more comfortable. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Now, Fear of conversations is a uh, is kind of interesting. It's not so. It's more the fear of difficult conversations. I think. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of people who are afraid of conversations. I I, th I feel that that is for a future episode. Uh, fear of introversion slash extroversion. Mm, oh. That could be interesting. Yeah. But but yes, I believe. Uh, yeah, our topic today is about uh, the the big the the hard conversations that do pop up in everyday life or ones that we can see coming a mile away but we still don't know how to prepare for it mm -hmm. so with every episode we start with the same question um why are people afraid of we'll say difficult conversations great question everyone <laughs> okay i guess i'll jump in then yeah. at me. you know it's I really wish I had like just that one sentence answer for that. I think it just really depends on the topic, first of all, and the fear around that particular topic. Mm -hmm. um, in my podcast, we explore different topics and some are more uncomfortable than others. Or some people might feel that some of the topics are comfortable, whereas other people find them completely, you know, uncomfortable. So right. sex, for example, is one that we discuss quite often. So, yep, I think people are kind of generally afraid of exploring another side of themselves mm. in certain conversations. Yeah, especially, especially around the sex topics, I think. So it's like they might find out something about themselves that, you know, didn't seem okay when mm. they were young, like some sort of kink they want to try. Mm. Um, yeah, and then it's like that doesn't seem, you know, quote unquote normal in their world. So then it's trying to figure out 
is that normal? How do I make that normal? Or what will people mm-hmm. think of me? So it's the fear and the shame that kind of starts to come come up, right? Yeah. Right. Hmm. I think a lot of it too is, uh, what, what exactly was the original question again? It was like, why? Why are people afraid of... In most of my work that I do, I get to work with a lot of different organizations and a ton of leaders at different levels. And the biggest reason if for them is uh, they're afraid they're going to hurt other, someone else's feelings. Mm. Um, that's kind of, and it's interesting, every company I work with, even if they know it or not, inevitably we find out that that's one of the biggest issues in almost any company on planet Earth. The fear of, and therefore not having, the difficult conversations that need to be had in order to clarify things, to get your point of view, to get feedback, to uh, alter behavior that's not working for people. I think that's the, the big one I've seen. You're scared to hurt people. So it's more a, a fear of conflict. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that's that's been my experience, a big one. I, I feel that whether it's a Fortune 500 company or my last relationship, I feel uh, that would be... <laughs> The, the main reason for 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 you know not having these these conversations because you know even as a even as an adult who's gone through many different hard conversations mm-hmm. you know many you know uh, so many different experiences you know uh, I do feel like I don't it's it's hard to hurt people's feelings but I think that I'm starting to be aware that maybe I'm the one putting I'm the one thinking that fear, mm-hmm. and maybe they're mm-hmm. maybe they're not even going to have their feelings hurt, you know, depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. I think we're yeah we're frequently doing a, a disservice to people. It's easy to say, hard to do. <laughs> Just doing a disservice to people by not having that difficult conversation because we're not giving them enough credit to be able to handle it. I think sometimes, which isn't fair. And I don't know if you all follow Brene Brown or have read any of her stuff or seen her awesome Netflix special, but she talks about clarity as kindness. And that's sort of an interesting alternate way to look at it because we think that saying something that's hard isn't being kind, but she's flipped it around that it's actually, that's the kindest thing to do because you're saying that they can handle it and you're prioritizing the relationship and you're actually willing to take a risk to work in the relationship which actually, sometimes ironically, according to our brains, or paradoxically, what we think is going to happen, it can actually deepen intimacy and deepen uh, the relationship, I think. For sure, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's like that hit song by Nick Lowe, You've Got to Be Cruel to Be Kind. There it is. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. In the right measure. In the right measure. (laughs) I think when you're younger as well, um, when it comes to conversations, I'm talking more like relationships. Yeah. Um, especially when you're in your early 20s, avoidance seems like the best way. It's so great, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it great? Oh my God. <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Yeah, yeah. Ah, Completely. I love I had it. Multiple relationships where I was like, well, if we don't talk about this issue, eventually it will just go away yeah. of course it will yeah, yeah and so will the relationship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're right it does are you still dating and just, yeah oh, no yeah but now i'm in a great relationship that has very clear communication oh, yeah and, and so it's amazing sweet. once you get that communication going cool how easy it is to bring up really anything nice and feel comfortable but uh yeah i wonder if it's the thing to do 
with age, or maybe it's just my age. Maybe it was my immaturity and who I am. I I think I was kind of seeing a trend in like a lot of youth being more open to having uh, uncomfortable yeah. conversations, and ha- I feel like it's our youth that are out there, you know, pro- protesting right now. The ones who are leading the climate strike stuff that my generation. I'm sorry, guys, we kind of sucked at doing oh, that. Oof. And I think part of that is because we were raised to not talk about mm-hmm. those those True. subjects, right? And to you know, not don't bring politics up at the table let's not mm-hmm. talk about money let's not you know don't, don't talk about the environment i don't want to think about that and mm-hmm. so we were just kind of taught to like be quiet so it's a lot harder for us to kind of step out of that comfort mm-hmm. zone and lead whereas i'm actually seeing now the youth seem to be doing an amazing thank god yeah. uh, amazing mm-hmm. job of that yeah i think being a dude as well where we're raised a lot especially before um to kind of not talk about feelings mm. or not worry about what we think. Mm. <laughs> That's so true. I would love for more men to come onto my podcast because I'm I'm realizing that uh, a lot of the people I interview are women because mm. we seem to be more open to having those uncomfortable conversations. Um, yeah, so I would I would love some cool. more, any suggestions. Or right here, I'll do it. Point there, you guys. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, we'll do Should it. we do it right now? Can we do both at the same time? <laughs> Can I just actually build on some classic yes. improviser move, Daniel, of what you said, Deb, because I think it's super important. Um, yeah, because uh, I've been involved in a, a youth theater company for 15 years called the Roundhouse Youth Theater Action Group, where what we do is we work with local lower mainland teens, and we help give them a voice in creating plays and talking about in these plays what issues are important to, the, to, to them. And this year, it's about climate justice. And it's all about creating conversation in the community. That's the purpose of our plays. So we give them a voice, they talk about it. And I agree with you. The stuff they're talking about is not the stuff my generation, I'm 52, everybody, uh, talked about at all. And they're so comfortable talking about it. Identity issues, gender issues, uh, drug and alcohol stuff, whatever. And it's so exciting to me. And then what they do is they create conversations with the audiences, which by the way, happen in early May at the round house but it's i totally agree with you yeah yeah no that's amazing it's good to see that yeah for sure because like you said jeff i think just our generation we were just taught to you know keep it quiet don't talk about your feelings especially oh, yeah. guys i mean and that being said even as a woman like i'm sorry dad i'm gonna call you out on this but like my dad couldn't quite cope when i was upset mm. if say a boyfriend had broken up with me because he didn't know how to deal with my emotions so he would just kind of tell me to don't be silly <laughs> you know you, you'll be fine don't be silly but then again that was you know the generation before him not teaching him properly yeah. how to deal with his feelings um so it just kind of goes back and it goes on and on and on right but i i do see that changing which is really great so i wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that in media we're talking about these issues a lot more climate change is so friend of mind um, is, I wonder if that's why today's youth are more willing to talk about it. I wonder if it's the other way around, mm. that, that they're in the media because of today's youth being so willing to talk about it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like, uh, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, in, in our generation, um, we had Degrassi. <laughs> uh, which, which, you know, uh, uh, to all of our wonderful listeners from around the world, hi, Norway. <laughs> uh, we we have uh you know here in Canada and uh, I believe it's syndicated uh, at least across North America. Paul, 
probably around the world as well. We have uh, Degrassi, which was a show uh, set in a high school, and they talked about very hard topics. Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. being a kid watching these shows, watch you know, uh, you know, being like, oh, there's you know, there's a show about uh, uh, sexual assault. There's a show mm -hmm. about drugs, yeah. teenage pregnancy. Um, and I remember, even as a kid, I remember thinking to myself, whoa, these are uh, important, you know, these are big, hmm. these are big topics. But I also remember as a kid, I didn't really have anyone else to talk about this yeah. topic. Even with friends at hmm. school, it would be like, hey, Degrassi, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was a crazy episode. Yeah, but <laughs> Let's not talk about it, though. It's too uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, definitely now more than ever. I think that uh, media definitely does um, uh, honor, and you know, they it's the it's the loop. They mm. you know, now kids and teens and are so much more active on Twitter, Instagram, mm -hmm. and all of these things are. You know, we can have these big hard conversations mm -hmm. twenty four hours a day yeah. with anyone in the world. Yeah. And look at, I mean, what hashtags have done to create conversations. Yeah. Some really, really critically important ones that have brought awareness to stuff that's really been happening since forever, but finally it's shifted. It's broke through to a different plateau, thank God. Yeah, and I wonder if usually when we talk about uh, the internet and uh, social media on this show, we talk about how shitty it is. But <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if in this instance, uh, that is kind of the, the main difference. Like I didn't mm. yeah. grow up with the internet. Um, I remember getting a computer when I was, I don't know, grade seven or eight, something like mm -hmm. that. And, we, we didn't even have a computer lab in my elementary school. It wasn't yeah. until I got to high school. Um, and even back then, the internet really was nowhere close. Like, we had, what was it called, uh, ICQ? Oh. And, <laughs> oh. Wait, is that the one with the, the person running? Yeah, no, that's the flower petals. Okay. Oh, <laughs> so specific. I don't even think yeah. my school had that. I mean, when I was at university, I was still using the library. There was internet, but it was just so new. We didn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. But um, I definitely like, you know, what you're saying now, there's so much more conversation. And one, uh, you know, program that I love to use as a great example is Sex Education. That's on mm. Netflix. Uh. And, you know, everything they talk about there's no way in hell that any of those things would have come up in yeah. any tv show i didn't grow up here so i wasn't degrassi but we did have our you know high school show called green chill and it had a few few different things but definitely not to the level that sex education mm -hmm. has brought like that's just a phenomenal program mm -hmm. and i'm so glad it exists and Never i think heard of it. that's starting to help change media as well cool yeah, absolutely uh, so, uh, uh, so Debbie, uh, for for your podcast, which is called Uncomfortable, yes, uh, just uncomfortable, or uncomfortable conversation, uncomfortable the podcast. There we go. Nice. Um, what what inspired you to uh, uh, to create Uncomfortable podcast? Yeah, it's a, a bit of a warped story, so I'll try and keep it short. I years ago went to a very inspirational leadership weekend it was run by the minerva foundation um and it was phenomenal and it just made me very inspired all these women shared their stories about you know working up the corporate ladder and things like that and just stuff they had to deal with and i was like this should be a video blog mm -hmm. so i did create a video blog and that ran for about two years and i interviewed women on what success meant to them um, and what their values were mm -hmm. and it was great but it just wasn't going deep enough for me into topics that i mm -hmm. really wanted to talk about 
So I decided to switch away from video blogging and try podcasting because I also found that when you took the cameras away, people opened up a lot more, mm-hmm. which is one reason I love this medium for that. So I I kind of rebranded because I just thought, no, I want to get deeper. Because as soon as I turned the camera off, those women would start opening up mm-hmm. about yeah. topics that, you know, mental health and mm-hmm. stuff that they wouldn't have said on camera. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Excuse me. So... I started the podcast and I just thought, okay, what's all the topics that, you know, I always want to have discussions with my family or with my girlfriends, but I just don't know that they want to talk about Mm. that yet. So it's like, can (laughs) I talk to my friends about this particular thing? And actually doing it has helped like me open up to people me open up to my friends and to my family as well and it's been really cool because like my mom and dad listen so you know there's still some things my dad's like yeah i can't listen to that episode (laughs) uh, which is fine but you know we'll start to have more conversation around you know different things like especially mental health that's a big one um sex death is something that comes up um in the episodes often grief so yeah, it's just been it's been therapy for me to be mm. honest. Yeah, that's impressive that your parents listen to it because I'm pretty sure <laughs> my parents do not listen to this. What? I just parents. <laughs> if they were Norwegian, they would be. Oh yeah. They would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, uh, uh, you know, speaking speaking, you know, you you listed a few of those topics. Uh, you know. For for us in here, you know, and perhaps for our, our listeners who uh, maybe think of themselves, oh, what are some of those topics that I wouldn't be able to have conversations about? Um, do we ourselves have a conversations that are uh, that are hard to have? Uh, I can share one to start off. Like in our personal lives? Yeah, uh, in our personal lives or or, or conversation um, that that you. Put off, or you you're putting off. You know, as much yeah, as you yeah. share. Yeah. Um, for for example, for for myself, my uh, uh, my uh, uh, my beautiful wife and and I, we recently got married. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, thank you to uh, uh, all of our Norwegian fans. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, but uh, but so one of the things, and wow, I'm even realizing it's even a little bit hard to talk about it in a room mm-hmm. with uh, with friends um, and whoever else is listening. But so my my father, my father has always been very uh, loving and supportive of, of me and our relationship. Uh, my father. Uh, has always wanted uh, grandkids. Mm. Always wanted grandkids, and mm-hmm. and so for for my wife and I, we've had those hard conversations, and we have uh, we've decided that having children isn't for us, um, and that is a very you know real personal mm-hmm. conversation, especially because of how life is and and the expectations of of. Being able to, you know, oh, you get married, you got to have kids. Oh, my son is getting married. He's going to give me a grandkid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me, it took me oh, a few years to slowly drop hints that maybe <laughs> grandkids weren't happening. But then one day I did have a, a, a good conversation, brief, but good and direct conversation that we wouldn't be having kids and and he was he was understanding and supportive of that disappointed but still very absolutely supportive so yeah i think that's part of it too is having that conversation 
even when you're very unsure or even like you probably knew that there was going to be a pretty negative reaction to that right. conversation because i didn't want to hurt him yeah i didn't want yeah, exactly. to make him feel yeah it's it's very uh yeah it was hard like even the the possibility you can get your hope up and be like well maybe this conversation will go better but when you know it's going to go well you're like crap i still have to have this conversation right. can i ask you a question about that yeah. what allowed you to do it that day what was different about that day uh i i, I think what was different was that it took uh, um, I think it was one of those uh, like building up over a few years kind yeah. of things. Like at some point, the, yeah, yeah. the you know the straw will break or the dam will break. Um, and I think you know I I also wanted uh, I also felt that I I I owed it to my wife mm. to honor her and and honor our relationship, and honor our decision to not have kids, and and to uh, uh, honor her as much as I wanted to honor my dad. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it was um, it was one of those like uh, almost like ripping a bandaid off mm-hmm. after years of wearing that bandaid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's uh, uh, and and I'm glad that I did, and I'm not you know I'm not feeling any self recrimination over not having done it sooner because I think just like anything else in life, it's like well I did the best that I could at the time so. Yeah. Awesome. And you probably had a pretty massive weight that came off your shoulders mm. up as well, right? Every time we go for lunch, and uh, uh, oh no! <laughs> and then it creates this barrier, right? It the does, the, the does. things yeah. that we don't say create barriers, create distance, reduce intimacy, all that stuff. And we're scared of hurting someone. But look what it's doing if we don't say the yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. actually yeah. damaging the relationship. Right. Well, and it could lead to resentment. Yeah, like yeah. yeah. often does. Very toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for for myself, I you know. Uh, uh, there was no real resentment, but I can definitely feel like you know the underlying like oh I gotta um, I gotta say something and and is he is he want you know is he expecting me hoping me to say something is he hoping that I'm gonna say that oh we are gonna have kids you know it's very yeah this is a very personal revelation that yeah. I just shared on the wow. you're doing awesome man yeah. I love that because in doing that you give permission for other people to share that level yeah. of intimacy yeah. too so I think it's really great thank you yeah. uh, share all of your, your <laughs> he's demanding we do it now uh, uh, no, uh, our I don't think I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw how uncomfortable you were and that's not for me <laughs> you know, I think that's the number one thing uh, um, and maybe you know, uh, uh, you know, for for myself, I think mm-hmm. that it's, um, as long as I think ultimately people also have to honor themselves mm-hmm. and, and when they're ready to have these hard. Great yeah. point. And I think I think that if you don't ever get to that point, that's also okay. That's also okay because you got to do what's right for you. It's a choice. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's gonna, you know, possibly ruin relationships or really put a massive wedge in. Sometimes. You just kind of be like, well, you know, I want to talk about it, but I don't know we if I can. We could just talk about the UFC fights. Like, yeah, uh, I was going to say the weather. I think for me, I've got a couple, um, well, actually, so I'm child-free by choice as well, but I actually don't have too much, which, like, my parents have been pretty understanding about that, which has been nice. Um, but I've got two subjects that I have difficulty talking about, but I will. One of them, we just did an episode on the other day. I have a lot of trouble talking about weight. Mm. I've always had issues with my weight my entire life. Uh, 
but I'm trying to work on that and trying to become more mentally healthy around that. Uh, the other thing I have trouble with, which is an episode I want to do eventually, is religion. I do mm. not like talking about religion. Oh, wow. Um, I was raised atheist. And um, so every time I talk to someone who is religious, I have a lot of trouble having that conversation because I have no experience or knowledge in it, really. Uh-huh. I know that there was, what was that guy's name? Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no ideal. I think so, yeah. <laughs> I think that was his name. <laughs> That's his name. Um, I'm actually kind of similar to you, Daniel. And actually, Jeff, you and I had this conversation at the podcast festival. You had talked about how you had to be very clear that you didn't want children when you got into a relationship. Yeah. So I was the opposite. Um, I had, you know, come out of a long-term relationship maybe eight years ago and then was on and off dating. Dating in Vancouver is a nightmare. So especially, I don't know, I I guess from a woman's perspective, you probably have your perspective that it's equally as bad for men. But um, it just, you were dating someone and it was like, do I mention that I want kids? Because basically, Mm. if this person doesn't, I don't want to waste my time because I'm mid-30s and I want to have a family and I don't want to be in one of these, oh, let's not label it relationships. Like, quite frankly, I wanted to find someone that I loved enough to have children with. So it was hard to bring that up when you were like dating, you know, with someone after maybe four or five dates Mm. that seemed to be going well. You just had to kind of casually somehow drop it into the conversation. And sometimes you'd never see that person again. And you're like, well, that answered that question. So it was like, and then I thought, am I being the crazy lady that guides a boy? (laughs) Honestly, because they do. Um, They are just like, oh, my God, you know, she wants kids. She's crazy. And I've heard men say this, not all men, but I've heard men say this. And it's like, oh, God, am I if I say it, am I going to be that crazy lady? And just having that inner dialogue and eventually I did meet someone and early on I just thought you know what I have to tell you this because I really like you but I really want to have kids and if you don't that's okay but this isn't going to work out so Mm. I just need to be really clear and thankfully Mm. that person I'm still with him we're on the same page and you know we're in the world of trying right now but it was it was hard you know after just few weeks or maybe a couple of months of being with someone saying okay this is it if you say no to this then it's not going to work out even though I really like you and that was that was hard yeah I wonder if it's harder to uh to do the I definitely want to have kids at the beginning of the Mm. dating or I definitely don't want to have kids because Mm. I used to drop that factoid on on day number two. It's so funny that we all laughed at factoid. (laughs) Like robotic, I want children, factoid. (laughs) I know about me. Yeah, I love it. Dropping that. Yeah. 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 Like the the soft hints, you know, like uh, go for go for a walk through IKEA on an as a date, and mm-hmm. then and then and then suddenly walk through, suddenly walk through the the, the ball know, the, pit the, or something, the, or like the, oh, the, the children's, the children's area. area. Yeah. I don't care for anything that goes in that ball pit. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. Not even the ball. Yeah, nothing. Yeah. So in this IKEA situation, 
Are you going through and just saying, I hate all of this furniture? <laughs> we're like, oh, we are never going to need anything in this section. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, yeah. do it like Yeah, that. no. You don't like tiny beds? You don't like tiny beds? But let's have kids, though. They can sleep in big beds. No, you're not getting it. I know. I think that's that's why my conversation with Anne's always like, drop small hints. Like, right. Oh, I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's not. Maybe. They're so fragile. Uh, uh, <laughs> I like to imagine that you're having all your difficult conversations in IKEA now. Oh. <laughs> so if he invites you to IKEA, you're like, oh no. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh crap. Oh. This area is perfect for a podcast. By the way, I'm doing another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's called Flurbiton. <laughs> Oh, I guess I'm the one who's not spoken now. Great. Well, we should probably move on. We're running out of time, I think. Uh, well, a big one for me was uh, I, I was married in my early 20s. Uh, at 21, married very early, divorced at like 25. Breaking up was incredibly difficult because that to me was the ultimate, I'm going to hurt someone, which is also the ultimate kind of madness. Um, I'm staying in something that's awful or doesn't work for me, it might not be awful for someone else, doesn't imply that person's awful, but just doesn't work in order to avoid discomfort. Mm -hmm. I remember just thinking the other day, it was like, it's really just the first three seconds. Everything else after that takes care of itself. If you can just say, this isn't working for me. That was less than three seconds. Mm -hmm. If I'd said that three years earlier, that would have helped her, that would have helped me, but I was scared to. And I notice myself still anytime there's something where I think someone's going to be hurt or it implies that I'm asking them to change their behavior or that they or think I'm judging their behavior, I still really hold back in it. So I can't even think of real specifics. It's almost anything that I, that I start thinking that someone is going to feel hurt or offended by. I, I get resistant to having those. I'm getting way better at having them but I'm still resistant. And I've discovered some tools that help me have them. That's why I was kind of curious about what allowed you that day to do it. Thank you. Wow. Uh, uh, I don't know if we're at that part of the podcast yet, but I'm curious now. Uh, tools? 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 In, uh, uh, conversations? Saw? Oh, wait. No, <laughs> Mostly hammers. <laughs> yeah. but I think um, I've been listening to a great podcast um, called My Feminist Agenda, mm. and in that they talk about uh, you're either a giver um, or a, I think it's called a being. Um, mm. So a lot of people tend to be givers, and when you're giving away so much of yourself to other people and you're, you're helping other people, it's difficult to do that for yourself. And you feel guilty when you do that for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so that sounds a lot of like what you're you're talking about, where you're in a relationship and you just don't want to disappoint that person, even though it's not working out for you. When you're in that giver mentality, you're like, no, I just want this person to be happy, and I don't want to ruin that. It's kind of martyry in some ways, isn't it? Like giving up your own happiness. I don't want to be clear. That was that specific relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want my wife listening to this going, what are you not telling me? I've really evolved since then. <laughs> but it's tough. It is, yeah. And I think when you're a giver, you, it's difficult to seize on them sometimes. Mm -hmm. you, just, you just want yeah, to make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. so, so, um, so now, in a, uh, now that we've established that we've, uh, you know, uh, 
three of uh, some of the most intelligent, wonderful, giving people. Who's the fourth? <laughs> Who's the fourth? Yeah. Who's the fifth? Uh, in here, you know, uh, the, the fact that, you know, all, all, of, all of you, plus myself, um, have had these similar kinds of uh, moments where it's been hard to have these conversations, you know, uh, I I can guarantee that a lot of people listening, a lot of people listening to Fear of Sides, listening to Uncomfortable uh, Podcast, uh, people who have taken your workshops, you know, we've all had those experiences where we know we need to have these mm -hmm. hard conversations, but we don't. So how do we how do we stop living in the silence, stop living in the fear, and mm -hmm. how do we move forward with having those conversations instead of waiting years to to have these conversations and that's the end of the podcast everybody thanks so much i've really enjoyed my time here i can honestly say from my experience i never feel like you said about ken they don't really get easier you do get mm -hmm. slightly better but um, I'm a people pleaser, so I'm guessing I'm one of those givers, right? So it's really hard for me to sit down and talk to someone about something that's really uncomfortable. The easy thing about my podcast is the people that I'm talking to are usually very willing and open about the conversation we're about to have. So it's easy, but we do kind of talk about why people may find that particular topic you know, difficult. For myself, I always remember working with a coach and I had to have a conversation with a partner at the time about their driving and how I didn't quite feel safe because they were pretty fast, a fast driver, very confident. But I'd been in an accident many years ago, so I still had a bit of fear around that. And the coach had kind of explained to me, you know, give them a heads up that you want to talk to them at this particular time and that you have something really important you wanted to chat about. And um, I thought, oh God, that seems really quite like robotic. Is that going to work? <laughs> and I was a bit like, oh, I, don't, I still don't want to do this. But I did. And I had the conversation and they weren't as understanding as I thought they would be. But the funny thing was when I was in the car with them ever since that conversation, they wouldn't drive as fast. Mm. So even if you don't feel like that person has, you know, is quite, you know, just not really taking in what you're saying or is mm. a bit defensive, it may just take some time for them to have a few moments to think, you know mm -hmm. what, maybe they're right. Or they might just be a bit careful or mindful or open to the conversation another time. You're just planting the seed. The first time so that was really helpful for me that even if i didn't think the conversation had gone well initially there was a little you know seed planted and and things got better which yeah. was great because sometimes awesome. the conversation going well doesn't That's necessarily cool. mean that most <laughs> people agree to something mm -hmm. or even exactly. it's a happy mm -hmm. conversation sometimes it's just this needs to be said and yeah. understood it's like when you're setting boundaries with someone, mm. and I find that, again, so hard, but when I have to say mm -hmm. to someone, listen, I don't like it when you do this, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's that person might be defensive, and you also, you have to be understanding that that person's also maybe putting up a boundary as well, and you have to be as respectful to their boundary as you expect them to be for yours. So it's understanding that having that uncomfortable conversation 
it's probably not going to be easy for both parties. And even, yeah, if it doesn't go well, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Yeah. The thing I struggle with a lot um, is at work sometimes with conversations, especially with people that I have to have daily conversations with. I had a while where uh, the person doesn't work at my work anymore, um, but she was very much an alpha type personality. And I don't do well with alphas. Mm. I just, I don't think that way. I'm more of, I don't like alpha and beta terminology anyway, that it's totally wrong. But just to illustrate the type of person they are, but I would be a beta um, if you're using that terminology. Um, but uh, I actually had to buy a book <laughs> called mm. Difficult Conversations oh, wow. that a friend recommended to me. <gasps> Great book. Nice. Um, and, uh, and it really helped me understand how to talk to someone who's that alpha personality make sure that you're acknowledging their idea and giving them time and uh rather than dismissing it um and then yeah how to how to deal with that person that's great awesome book, great read i love uh, uh, do you remember who the author, author is i'm trying to google it super fast <laughs> oh, uh, it's called difficult conversations i know it's very by popular. bruce Patton and douglas stone Patton and Stone, classic. And uh, Sheila Heen. They're also a great sketch comedy duo. Sure. Why not? I love how I didn't even finish typing it, but Google's like, we're It's listening. this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've been listening the whole time, everyone. I think, you want to buy this? <laughs> I, I love what you said, uh, too, uh, Debbie, about um, at the beginning of, of what you just said uh, about if there's an agreement that we're going to talk about this, like people coming as a guest. So a lot of the leadership development work that I do, they bring us in for that. Right. One of our goals is to help people become more comfortable with the uncomfortable, which Daniel, as you know, is a big part of improv. And I use it with my work using improv and as well as other techniques. But when you're working with a people, a group of people that have said, let's do this, please teach us ways to do this. And we create, I'm a big a believer in creating containers, safe containers. I see that's a big part of my work that allow people to have the conversations they need to have. So when we create that structure and we say, okay, let's have some of these conversations now, then it can be much easier for them as opposed to them doing it on their own because then we've given them permission to do it and it's okay. And I think another part of that is referencing improv again is being okay with screwing it up, having it be messy. Uh, and I think one of the biggest reasons we don't have conversations is we want to get it right. And so we rent relentlessly are going over it in our heads again and again and again and again. And just building up these walls of it has to be perfect to try and control the outcome where improv has taught us, Daniel, I'm looking at you, uh, you folks might have done it too, is that to let go of the outcome, be okay with the messiness and trust that process. So that's a big part of it too. But getting there is much harder than just saying it. Absolutely. Because uh, on stage, I 100% uh, subscribe to uh, everything you just said. In my, in my real life, it's Tough. Okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Gotta get it right. Okay. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down. Okay. It's gonna be about seven thirty. Um, okay. Now I'll have twenty minutes, and if I need to give myself an out, I can say that I need to be somewhere at eight, and then. <laughs> I think part of it is uh, managing so true. expectations as well. Totally. Um, mm -hmm. Because a large amount of the time, you, when you're <clears throat> thinking about it in your own head, you start um, you start thinking about the other person's side of the conversation yeah. and that's when it gets uh yeah. not healthy yeah uh, because you start having that conversation you're like 
oh no 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 now you're supposed to say this yeah thing, then i say this thing and yeah go now the conversation's going so and Brene, when, when you have someone who says something even slightly different than you totally and letting go of that outcome Brene brown calls it that whole thing of the story i'm telling myself yeah. is this and we create these giant stories in our head of what it's going to be so therefore we don't do it because it's a scary story because our brains are wired for protection and keeping us safe yeah. so we're building up the worst case scenarios because that's what we do to keep ourselves safe and we don't do it yeah but sometimes that conversation you might have this worst case scenario in your head you have it and the person's like oh okay yeah you're like oh shit that wasn't that hard oh shit (laughs) that mental monster is slain yeah yeah Uh, so so uh for so now that we've arrived to the point where we're like okay we we uh know how to get to the conversation and we and you know we've just we are able to uh have that conversation within ourselves to be like today is the day that we're going to have this difficult conversation um what what does a good productive healthy difficult conversation look like how does it how does it go it does it is there a rough blueprint that perhaps our listeners can mm. can uh follow or uh, and again, it will absolutely be messy, but you know, are there some things that they can try to do to help this conversation go forward? I think one big thing, I wouldn't say there was like a blueprint, but what I've realized is how much I have to listen mm-hmm. more. Don't interrupt. Like, tell that person the thing, whatever it is that you want, and then give them time to either, you know, sit in silence and just think about what you said, or react, they might react, not how you expected, but that's okay. And just listen and let them say their piece and don't interrupt. Like that was a big lesson, I think, in my biggest breakup when I had to just say, this isn't working anymore. And I just let him run and tell me all the things that he was upset about, which I really feel like he had needed to say for a long time Mm, as well and that it actually wasn't working out for him. It wasn't working for him either. Mm. And just listening to that made me realize that, yeah, okay, we're, we haven't been on the same page for years, but now we are with this one particular decision mm. and we have to part ways. And it was really hard, but yeah, listening is key, yeah. definitely. And active listening, mm-hmm. um, which uh, for people who aren't aware, and it's something I struggle with still, Active listening is when you're listening to somebody and you're not waiting your turn to say something, Mm. Um, which a large amount of people do. Like, you know, I'm doing it right now, but we're on a podcast and I kind of have to say something eventually. Mm. But yeah, a lot of people just kind of listen, just waiting for that break to be able to get in there. One thing I will say about podcasting, it's actually taught me how to be a better active Mm. listener because you have to listen to the person you're interviewing (laughs) and what they're saying so that you can react and there is a bit of multitasking as you say because you're thinking of the next question but you know just that's a great way to practice like record yourself Mm -hmm. or have a friend and and talk to one another and actively listen you don't even have to record yourself it's like an improv or an acting class right where you're listening to the other person so you can react properly or react the way you're supposed to react in the script but yeah, I think podcasting has actually been a great tool mm-hmm, for that. Uh, That's awesome. And I absolutely, you know, uh, agree. You know, in, in the improv 
uh, classes and improv workshops that I took through Vancouver Theatre Sports here in Vancouver. Uh, and, you know, being a part of the Rookie League and being on main stage, uh, we the, one of the number one things that I remember is uh, being taught that when you're on stage, you shouldn't just be waiting for your turn to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, in an improv scene, which is trying to be as real and as natural as possible, um, you know, uh, uh, you should be actively listening, not just being like, oh, it's my turn to say something funny or say something, mm-hmm. uh, say anything. I think, uh, yeah. Impro- uh, start a podcast, take improv workshops. Yeah, there Can I just say, you guys should do like a fear of improv episode because it's one of those things I'm just too terrified to do. (laughs) Well, it's funny because we're doing it right now. It's so funny, right? It's... I, I love the the first thing you said was listening, and it's it's I think it's also uh, as guys sometimes it's a thing we're not so great at. We I, and I'm going to totally stereotype here, uh, but I've seen it a lot, and uh, being a guy I can speak for myself. I, I want to fix things, yeah. and I want to get right to solving it, and I and I start having solutions in my head before someone's done speaking, and then I zone out because I'm thinking of I've got the answer I can help you I can help you I can fix this, but that's often not what someone needs is part of a difficult conversation. And one of the best things I've ever learned, I'm pointing at Daniel Chai right now, as the improviser, is an improv exercise called Swedish Beat. That's close to Norway. So do you have any Swedish? <laughs> oh, I, I, should, I, should, I should call it Norwegian beat. What I mean was Norwegian beat. Um, it's where after, it's an exercise, it's very simple, and it's quite profound, the effects of it. I've used it with lots of clients too, and it's caused some major shifts. And I was trying to do it here, but I noticed I didn't because I wanted to get my point in. Mm. I raced, and we're doing sending all these signals that I want to speak, which then actually uh, makes people that are talking feel like they have to hurry up to finish saying their thing. Because there's a woman named Nancy Klein who's got a series of books called Time to Think that I highly recommend. There's two things I want to say about that that are really incredible. All of her research, which is thorough and deep and wide, uh, shows that the quality of the listening has more of an impact on the speaker's ability to think than the speaker's IQ and preparation combined. That's a mind-blowing fact to me. And I read that and went, there's no way. But I read it, and she's got tons of research that backs it up, that we as listeners are actually, the better the listening, the higher the quality of the speaker's thoughts. So we're helping people think at a higher level when we listen better. And the exercise that I do that helps people with that, that I stole from improv, is you can't respond to someone right away. As soon as they're done, you have to give a, a, a mindful three seconds. So you're not going one, two, three, and staring them creepily in the eye. <laughs> Trying to make it natural, but just if you take a couple of seconds, because then they know that they've got time to absolutely finish their thoughts, then you also get to be more thoughtful in your response. But it's actually changed how I listen. And it's uh, it's quite profound. I've seen the impact with clients. Be and now we're all doing it, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. exciting! Yeah. Now I'm gonna have to edit out so much dead stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, if you're listening to this, wow, you did a good job. Of wow. Uh, so so uh, from from what I'm hearing from this conversation is that uh, these difficult conversations, uh, you know, I think definitely uh, we can't acknowledge to ourselves and to the other people that, yeah, these are 
difficult conversations, but not something that should necessarily be afraid of, and that there are tools and ways to uh, get through them as painlessly as possible. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I think it's just like anything else, uh, being um, trying to just go over these, uh, try to face these fears and, mm-hmm. and be uh, almost be willing to to go at it, I guess. Yeah. And get it wrong. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think we just have a massive fear of pain mm-hmm. in general. And we've, you know, we met, we met, sorry, mentioned that, like, life can be messy and these conversations can be messy. And we try and plan them in our head like it's going to be <laughs> perfect, this perfect script and the response will be perfect, but it might not be. And it's just being okay with that mess and being okay with the fact that there might be pain. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's really hard because we all want to be happy. Mm-hmm. Of course we want to be happy, but it's part of life. You know, yeah. it's it's never going to be perfect. There's no such thing. And, and actually pain can be beautiful in itself. Mess can be beautiful in itself. And it's just kind of um, as cheesy and oh God, cliche as that sounds. <laughs> it, it's It's beautiful. Yeah, and I think as well, mm, good point. as many tools as you learn um, when it's situational, um, and especially when you're talking a heat and heated discussion, if you're, if you're talking about a lot of anger and a lot of crap that you're unpacking, um, as much as you know about active listening, you're not necessarily going to do any active listening, mm-hmm. and you might be the one at, at fault in it, and you just have to deal with that and still try to, to have that conversation anyways. We did it! Yeah! <laughs> Three seconds! <laughs> now we're all going to race into Philip the space. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, you know what's, uh, uh, what's fascinating is that uh, uh, as, as we're heading towards the end of the episode, um, and uh, I've loved this, this conversation, it's very fun, I'm, I'm realizing that, uh, uh, that this conversation, and maybe it's, maybe it's the lack of air circulation. It's so hot in here! <laughs> but uh, but I, I feel almost like a, uh, I almost feel like a tenseness in my chest. Ah, oh, kind of like a... Interesting. Like a, oh, like this conversation has uh, activated something in me. Um, I don't know whether it's, it's a feeling of I want to keep avoiding card conversations mm. or I want to go and do them all. Mm. <laughs> Have we somehow activated an actual fear in you? Are you more scared now than the spider? No, that was, that was very good. You had a spider in here? Yeah, yeah. In here? Yeah, if you're a spider, you yeah. Or are, are you also? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh. I would not have been a guest in that. Yeah. He held a tarantula. Oh! oh you were braver than me. Yes. Oh, oh you, you too? I would, well, a, t- a tarantula part two. for sure. Oh, part two. Where I yeah. now, where I'm going to be like, hey, everyone, I'm holding, and it's like, I'm super cute. What about uncomfortable conversations with spiders? <laughs> Oh, and like every time you hesitate, <laughs> oh you're avoiding the, yeah. the topic. <laughs> because you're peeing your pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, uh, but again, uh, what I love, Jeff, about uh, about Fair of Science and about uh, all these podcasts um, is the fact that uh, these are such great ways to to uh, have good, delightful conversations where we get to learn and hopefully get to encourage our listeners to to uh, uh, expand their minds, maybe read a new book, and to perhaps uh, have that hard, difficult conversation that they've been avoiding. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, for for our listeners, uh, where can they learn more about you and your uh, wonderful work? Sure. So you can find my website uncomfortable.blog, where you can listen to the episodes, but I'm pretty much on every 
podcast player there is possible. I also work for Vancouver Co-op Radio, so I just want to give them a little plug, especially Ooh. if you're in the Vancouver nice. area. We're 100.5 FM. Or you can listen online at coopradio.org, and we are a non-profit community station that gives um, underrepresented communities a voice too. So it's a pretty beautiful place, and there's some great shows on there, so please do check that out as well as my podcast. Thank you. Hooray. Uh, I, I work at a place called The Coaching Studio. That's where I do all my leadership development work. So you can Google that, The Coaching Studio. And I also uh, I teach improv. Uh, I used to be the director of corporate training at, at Vancouver Theatre Sports, but I'm no longer doing that. So I, I teach improv classes there, but I do all my leadership development stuff with The Coaching Studio. Awesome. Yeah. And you can find us um, on at thefearofscience.com. Um, and then we're also on the social medias, uh, Science Fears, at Science Fears on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yeah, uh, come and find us. Uh, let's be friends and uh, uh, let's let's keep the conversation going. Uh, again, my name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And thank you so much for listening. <laughs>